You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi folks, welcome to Let's Talk Apple episode 104. I'm your host Bart Bouchot and this is the show for April 2022. I am joined today by two panellists who I am delighted to welcome back for the first time in a while. Uh, joining me from the island next door, we have Elaine Giles from MacBytes back with us. Hi, Elaine. Hello. Good to be back. My absolute pleasure to have you. And then uh, joining me from, uh, well, I guess it's, it's a bit bigger than an island, <laughs> from the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, we have Scott Wilsey back with us. Hi, Scott. How are you, Bart? I am good. And since last you were on, your credit has changed to the Friends with Beer podcast, which, uh, yes. as a Belgian, I find that a very intriguing podcast. Just, I, I love the idea. In fact, I used to tell guests when this show was starting out, because um, they would, like, I would have guests who would want to prepare and stuff. I was like, no, no, no. Just imagine we're having, we're talking about Apple over a pint. What? Well, seems like you have the same idea. Yeah. Cool. Okay, well, we have an entire month's worth of Apple news to go through, and I found it really difficult to get these show notes down to four main topics. Uh, so let us get stuck in with some follow-ups of some stuff we were talking about last month and in previous months. Um, it's kind of quietened down a bit in terms of new things happening relating to Apple and Russia. Uh, obviously not quieting down in terms of you know Russia in Ukraine being beastly, but uh, from the Apple point of view... The only story that crossed my radar is that uh, since Apple won't sell legitimate Apple products to Russia anymore, uh, the Russian government has legalized the so-called grey market to uh, presumably stop their citizens revolting. Um, I guess that's what that's for. Uh, a few months ago, we talked about Apple promising to have tap-to-pay functionality being available built into the iPhone, so no more need for those square terminal thingies you plug into the bottom of your iPhone. Uh, and at the time, uh, Stripe was the only announced partner. Uh, we now have a second partner, Adyen, will be joining when uh, the product launches shortly. Uh, we talked last time about the shareholders voting to tell Apple to do a civil rights audit. And I hadn't realized when we recorded last month's show that that was a non-binding resolution, which if I had known, I would most certainly have drawn attention to that fact, but I didn't know. Uh, but since then, Apple have said that they will be bound by the non-binding vote, so they are going to do one. So, okay. And also last time, we talked about the date for WWDC, and we mentioned that Apple were having a... Um, I, I call it a cinema event. Basically, you can come watch a pre-recorded keynote in the same room as the people who pre-recorded the keynote. Um, you can now apply uh, starting on May 9th and there will be a lottery and tickets are non-transferable. So if you'd like to go fly to Apple to go watch an Apple event, not in person, you can. Uh, we also talked a lot about AirTags in recent months. Uh, Apple did promise they will continue to tweak things. We have another tweak the frequencies that the AirTag uses to chirp when it's uh, following someone else about uh, has been tweaked to make it easier to hear, and I believe to make the directionality more obvious. I'm not quite sure how you do that by tweaking the frequencies, but some things echo, some things don't, so 
they have been doing audio magic to make the air tags easier to find. Finally then, or no, not finally, but close to finally, last month we had a great detailed discussion about the uh, Digital Markets Act, the DMA coming from Europe and how it is going to shake up the tech industry. Well, it won't be shaking it for a while. It has be, its, Im- its implementation has been postponed until early 2023. So all the tech companies have a bit more prep time. And then... Weird story of the month, Xbox Cloud Gaming is bringing Fortnite back to iOS without any subscription. So they have managed to find a way to get their game onto the iPhone in such a way that they make 0% of the no money. But they definitely won't pay Apple 30%. Did anyone else find that story weird? Uh, a little, yeah. Okay, I, I don't know. I, it was, I just, I was like, how, what? Okay. We've also talked many times in recent months about more and more details coming out about who all was the victim of the Pegasus malware for that window in 2021 when there was an exploit on iOS, a zero day that no one knew about apart from um, the NSO group people. And we knew that iPhones were vulnerable for a couple of months and we had some idea of who the victims were. Well, we have two more groups of people to add to that category. First news to break was that 60 leaders of the Catalan independence movement have been targeted, which prompted everyone to point the finger at Spain, who then promptly said, well, actually, we were victims too. Our prime minister and uh, minister for security were our minister for defense were also targeted. uh, So it clearly wasn't us. So I'm not quite sure who was spying on both sides of that Spanish debacle, but uh, there we go. And then in the story that shall never end... Uh, Apple continues to tussle with regulators. Uh, the EU have uh, sent a formal statement of objections to Apple complaining about how they restrict NFC on iPhones. And uh, it is now up to Apple to reply to that formal statement of objections. And then depending what uh, Mary Ves- uh, Maria Vestager thinks of Apple's reply, more may happen. So that is a stay tuned story. While you're staying tuned, the Dutch are still not happy with Apple. Um, Their latest changes are deemed insufficient, so they can continue to pay penalties to the Dutch until they sort that out. The Japanese government uh, have a report that says that built-in apps harm competition, and Apple have submitted a response saying no, they don't. Uh, And sideloading and web app restrictions on iOS are under investigation by yet another branch of the US government, so... Lots more investigating, no major developments, so I didn't think it was worthy of making it a main story. Do any of my guests feel the need to chime in on that, or are we all just business as usual on that one? Same old, same old. It'll just keep going. Trundling along. Yep. And then a very, very, very unwelcome uh, story from the past has really come back into the Apple news feeds this month. Um... I'm going to get on my little uh, soapbox here for a moment, but uh, one of the downsides of being an authoritarian government is that you do daft and stupid things like use your own ineffective vaccine instead of getting a very effective vaccine from the part of the world you don't like. You then proceed to not have most of your country vaccinated, and then, strangely enough, when the virus mutates and becomes way more effective, your country's zero-COVID policy falls into a giant great big heap. Well... Here is just a selection of the news headlines that hit my RSS feed in chronological order, starting at the start of April. 
New COVID-19 lockdowns in China further impact iPhone and iPad production. Latest China COVID lockdown may have limited effect on Apple production thanks to Foxconn. iPhone supply warning issued as major factories hit by COVID lockdowns in China. Delay in shipment of high-end MacBook Pro could be due to COVID-19 lockdowns in China. World's largest iPhone factory brings back mandatory COVID tests. COVID-19 lockdowns in China decrease iPhone supply. World's largest iPhone factory is operational. Despite COVID lockdowns, half of Apple suppliers are at risk because of COVID lockdowns. Foxconn holds hiring blitz at uh, Shenzhou factory amid COVID-19 and iPhone 14 delay concerns. And then the most worrying one of all crossed my radar yesterday, workers riot at Quanta factory due to strict COVID-19 lockdowns. In almost certainly not unrelated news, Apple experiencing delays on custom Mac Studio and MacBook Pros. Delivery may take months. Boo. And in definitely related news, Apple secures a Foxconn expansion in India to cope with iPhone demand and Apple starts assembling iPhone 13 in Brazil. Um, yeah, I got, uh, I'm going to guess no one wants to chime in on COVID. It's, like, it's a thing again. A friend who lives there and um, the situation is really, really bad. I didn't see any of those headlines mention that the companies are asking the workers to isolate, but isolate at work. So they're basically living at the factories where they're assembling this stuff to get any kind of throughput. Which is horrible. I mean, those factories are fairly soul-destroying places at the best of times, but inventing dorms that aren't really there and locking people in to what is it what is the lovely euphemism a closed system or closed loop system (laughs) it's just to think about isn't it yeah are your friends caught up in the actual lockdowns or are they just getting a closer view of yes everyone was in this lockdown this was about i think the last time we spoke was about three weeks ago and they were desperate because when it started it was going to be a couple of days maybe a week maybe a little bit longer but they are literally not allowed out they're not allowed out for food or anything so she said we're down to nothing so on a daily basis they get a little box delivered and you know the stuff that is in it may be not something that you would like to eat but that's what you've got They can't place uh, supermarket orders because there's just no stock. So she was literally down to her last toilet roll and had no food whatsoever. It is really strict. When they say there's a lockdown, it's not like the lockdown here where you can walk around the corner to the shop. It's strict. You are not allowed out. Yikes. And the fact that that isn't sufficient to bring a swift end tells you quite how contagious Omicron is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll say, Bart, um, thank you for adding the context about the difference in vaccines and policies, because I had actually forgotten about the fact that China went their own way with their vaccines. Yep, they they are using the traditional dead bug vaccines as opposed to the um, RNA vaccines we're all using. Mm-hmm. That's a big difference, especially with Omicron. And their vaccination rates among the elderly population are particularly poor, which is not good for your for your healthcare system. That is a pretty good way to have your hospitals flooded and to have horrible things happen. So yeah, I I think the main trend I guess that I got from those headlines is no one knows what's happening. And from an Apple point of view, it's like every second story is a ping and a pong. We're doomed. It'll be fine. We're doomed. It'll be fine. No, we are doomed. No, no, it'll be fine. So goodness only knows. 
And the last sort of follow-up is I, I, I've been keeping an eye on this show for a year or two now on what's going on in India, because I'm convinced India is the next China in terms of becoming a giant big market for Apple. Um, and any day now, I'll be right. Um, I'm going to keep saying that until I am right. But they had a a rocky one this month. Um, some new banking regulations have come into being. And Apple can't use debit or credit cards for subscription payments anymore in India, which is making the Indian users really cranky at Apple. And Apple like, but we want your money. We just can't take it that way. You'll have to buy credit on your Apple ID and use that. That just seems annoying. I try to understand and I can't, um, but I'm sure... If anyone understands, uh, you can email me podcasting at birdofficer.net because I don't, I don't grok this one. But anyway, that's that's the user hostile because then the users have to manage their subscriptions by remembering when they're due, getting a balance. Ugh. I, maybe the logic is to stop people ending up with automatically renewing subscriptions and accidentally spending money. This way, they have to proactively do it every month. But that I I agree with you. I would be mildly cranky if I had to do that. It would be interesting to know what the government regulations actually are, because in the UK, Apple do something um, that they really shouldn't do, which is they don't take cash for iPhones. Now, you can't up to a certain level in the UK, you you can't pay £500 in pennies. That's <laughs> legal tender. But in terms of, you know, I've got £10 notes, £20 notes, and I want to spend a thousand on an iPhone, they shouldn't reject you. Because it's legal tender, but they do. They want they want a credit card. They demand that. So I'd love to know what these regulations are that are stopping them, because it's usually the other way around for tracking purposes. I I know in Ireland we have very funny rules around buying phones, where you have to use ID and stuff. It's hardly that a thing that you have because it's a phone. You have to use a credit card so it can be traceable. I'm just grasping at straws here. I don't know. It's hard. I found, that's interesting because the explanation I had when they started doing that here was that they didn't want things that were that people typically bought in bulk to resell elsewhere. They didn't want those in cash because it made it easier for people to buy up all the available stock and resell it elsewhere. I guess that makes sense, particularly in the days when iPhones were like hen's teeth. Right. Because I remember that was a whole big thing, right? You know, the black market and iPhone where you'd have a friend going to America and they'd come home with five iPhones and sell them on for twice the price. Mm-hmm. When we bought iPhones, we always used to go to the store on launch day, you know, get in the queue. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last time we did that was at Liverpool with the iPhone 4S. And we both said never again because the queue was just being bothered, the entire queue. You got there, you got a card from Apple and you wrote, you know, they wrote on it what they reserved for you. And that meant you could go away and sit down somewhere. Yeah. Entire queue was still in a queue. And there were just dozens of people coming up to you in the queue, offering you more than you just paid for that phone so they could sell it on just carpet bagging. It was awful. If it was just one or two people but it was all day long we were there in the queue like seven hours and it was every waking second so when we got our phone and we disappeared off for a drink we both said never again and we've never done it since we've never gone there on launch day we've just pre-ordered and it's not worth it it took all the joy out of it so whatever apple put in place there'll be somebody there working out a way around it so really i'd really give up with them yeah 
Well, I'd like to think we're now at a stage where, you know, the iPhone is now worldwide and there shouldn't be that, and the need for that kind of shenanigans. But, so, yeah, it's interesting. Okay, um, jumping us into legal latest, thankfully short this month. None of our big friends are here. Everything seems to be quiet at the moment. Um, but uh, Apple did manage to reach a settlement with a class action lawsuit. This is... So... Apparently, the advertising on the iPhone 4S said it was the best iPhone ever, but when you put iOS 9 on it, it slowed down. Therefore, Apple owe everyone $15. That is that is what that court case says. Uh, okay, $15 it is. Meanwhile, Brazil win Bart's award for the dumbest judgment of the month. Apple have to pay an iPhone owner $1,000 because the box that said it didn't include a charger didn't include a charger, but Apple should have included a charger because it's normal to include chargers with phones because that's what everyone else does. Right, yeah, okay. Planet destroyed, whatever. I don't know if anyone disagrees with Apple's no charger in the box thing, but that is, to my opinion, the dumbest answer I've seen yet. I think going to take the the charger out of the box which obviously they did they should have reduced the price all they did was stand there and say it's better for the planet etc etc yeah we know that it's better for apple as well i think there needed to be and and we're going to pass on the benefit of that to you and people probably have accepted it easier but that judgment's just ridiculous yep it's even sillier than the french one that said you had to include headphones with every iphone to stop kids getting cancer (laughs) At least this this one this one isn't anti science. Still. That one that one about the four S though blows my mind because if I remember right, the four S came out in like twenty eleven. What year did that come out? Yeah, twenty eleven. Jobs died. And so they're getting sued for an update four years later. All yeah. their advertising all their advertising for that was I mean, that's just wow, that's a stretch. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, I guess you have to be very careful with your ad copy. Or you owe people $15 each. I wonder how big the class is, because it was only people whose iPhone 4S was still running iOS 9. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, Just the one story in Apple HR and acquisition news. Apple have made what looks to me to be a very uh, impressive hire away from Ford. Uh, They they hired uh, Desi... Oh, sugar, I should have mentally prepared for pronouncing that one. Uh, they hired an amazingly impressive uh, executive. Uh, she was at Ford Global Director for Safety Engineering, which already sounds like a cool job. Uh, but before that, uh, she also had quite a bit of experience with electric cars, which is probably why Apple would like to hire her away from Ford and have succeeded in doing so. Can anyone rescue me from that utterly failed pronunciation? I cannot. No. My my deepest apologies if uh, if she is listening. What are you doing listening to me? But anyway. <laughs> Apple services and original content highlights. Um, Apple Maps continues to improve around the world. Uh, in America, a bunch of cities in uh, the northwest, I guess you'd call it, uh, or the the north middle. What do you call the Chicago area? Ah, uh, yeah, north. Middle. I tend to think of it as more northeast, but everything east of me is east. Yeah, probably north. <laughs> that is kind of the rule, really, isn't it? Oh yeah, the north. Yeah, that's north of here. Yeah. 
So anyway, Chicago, Detroit, Indianapolis, Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati and Charleston now have cycling directions uh, on Apple Maps, which is a very useful feature. And the Germans and the Singaporeans are getting the shiny new map experience, which uh, is also extremely nice. So that is a continuing rollout there. Apple Music um, is now available on your Roku devices, if you were to happen to have such a thing. Uh, Apple TV Plus, the awards keep rolling in. So um, I used to do a thing where every time Apple got nominated, I made that a story in the show notes. And then starting from the 1st of January this year, I stopped doing that. And now I only note when they win an award. And I'm starting to wonder if I can keep doing that. Because even this month, which is not a particularly awardy month, we have Apple TV Plus getting its first BAFTA TV awards for two documentaries, uh, that being an editing award for 9-11 Inside the President's War Room and a sound award for 1971, the year music changed everything. Jon Stewart has picked up the apparently prestigious Mark Twain Prize for American Humour. Adam Scott has won a Webby for Best Actor for his role in Severance. Um, and again, David Attenborough, the, earth ch- the year the earth changed, is the recipient of a Television Academy Award honour in uh, from the people who do the Emmys in the US. And finally, I don't have enough breath in my lungs for the last one. Apple TV Plus has won a Glad Media Award for a special episode of The Oprah Conversation, which uh, I actually watched that special episode that won the award and it was bloody brilliant. Um... So yeah, they are Apple TV Plus's awards for the month. Um, and then the other very notable thing that happened is Apple TV Plus have decided that you don't have to be able to watch TV. Uh, Apple TV Plus have released a podcast, a true crime podcast, which is all the rage apparently, called Run Bambi Run, which is about a police officer convicted of murder. I don't know why that's done as Apple TV Plus, but anyway, there you go. And then... The final news story was one that sort of, I thought, well, that's interesting. So they did a survey of Apple TV customers, Apple TV Plus customers, and asked them what they think the service is worth. And the average value people, Americans, see in Apple TV Plus is $6.90. But Apple's price is $4.99. So that would appear to be extremely good value for money. Um, Scott, do you get a feeling that Apple TV Plus is, is getting decent traction over there i that's a really good question because i work in a tech company where most people probably aren't apple people or like apple people like we're apple people and i don't think any of them i don't think most of them know anything about apple tv plus so i think it's still widely split with people I think there's still tons of people who don't know it, don't know what it is, don't know anything about it, don't know what shows are on it. And then there's all the people who are Apple, more Apple adjacent adjacent who do. So I'm not sure how fast that's changing, to be quite honest with you. I really don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Here in Ireland, it hasn't got much penetration yet. Every now and then someone mentions an Apple TV plus show and I go, oh my God, someone else has watched that. Um but we haven't arrived at that moment. Cause I, I still distinctly remember over coffee and work one day where everyone was talking about The Crown and all of a sudden everyone's penny dropped that everyone has Netflix. Netflix is just the next television channel. And that right. has not happened for Apple TV+. Plus. Right. I definitely, yes, it is not to that point for sure. The interesting thing with Netflix is the way that they roll that out. Now, I don't know. I don't even have a TV, much less any of any TV subscription. I have none. But I'm thinking about my mother-in-law who had 
a new TV installed and she'd had it a, at least a year and she had no idea it had Netflix on it, but she was paying for it every month. Ooh. So however they managed to sell that to her was amazing. Once we discovered, you know, oh, Netflix, are you paying for this? And and we worked it out and she was. Uh, she, she loves it. She's watched the crown on it and all the other stuff that's on there that she she enjoys. But they must have had a way of selling that with the TV, which, you know, and the, and the subscription. I have no idea how that happened. We had nothing to do with the TV acquisition. But the fact that they've managed to do that with at least one person, maybe that's why Netflix is the de facto standard, because you can watch it anywhere on anything. I think there is an idea with people that, oh, Apple TV, oh, I, I must need an Apple TV for that. Now, I did have a subscription, a uh, free thing. Hmm. They said they were giving you six months and then they changed it to 12 and then they, they made it 18. And I still didn't watch one show. <laughs> not interested at all. <laughs> even for free, not interested. Well, if you wouldn't even buy it for free, then I guess, I guess you're, <laughs> you're not going to be one of their best customers. You are a tough customer to sell to. Yeah, you're absolutely right, though. I think that even over here, I think it's the same. I I feel like this is an Apple problem because uh, anytime anything Apple services mentioned, the automatic assumption is you have to be in the Apple ecosystem. And for a lot of them, that's true. For Apple TV Plus, not true. But I don't think people know that. I I think you're absolutely right. I think that is a huge problem that somehow Apple hasn't done an adequate job of addressing i guess they are trying right because I, there's been a lot of stories on the show over the last well frankly years uh, of apple tv plus appearing on sony televisions and on playstation and today on roku so they are definitely trying to get their their little icon to be on more devices and i think the reason they bought friday night baseball was to try nudge people into clicking that icon And I guess yeah, the hope right. being that once you're in there for baseball, you might hang about and have, you know, maybe there's enough buzz around Severance or Coda or whatever, um, and get people to have a poke around. Unfortunately, I find it stupendously confusing when I go into the Apple TV app to figure out what it is I've actually paid for and what it is that's trying to get more of my money out of me. Um, and not only that, they, I don't think the Apple TV app does a good job of just letting you jump to a show that you're watching and get a list of the episodes for it. Like it, mm. sometimes it will surface something you're watching and it it will surface the episode it thinks you want to watch next. But that's not always the episode you want to watch next if various family members are in there. And then yeah. getting getting to an actual list of episodes is very difficult. You have to go find the show, go find where they're highlighting it, dig around. It's... They have a lot of work to do on the UI, in my personal opinion. I would agree, because I have never considered the Netflix UI to be superb, but the, it is better than Apple's. Uh, although someone needs to go over to Amazon and teach Amazon to be even as good. Like, Amazon just got the, the, the prize mm-hmm. for the worst interface of them all. Um, mm-hmm. I don't watch a lot of Amazon Prime, but Picard was there, um, back to Star Trek from the pre-show. Um, and so every, every time there's a new season of card or something i end up on amazon for a couple of weeks and i end up swearing at it a lot and then i go back to to just watching netflix yeah i I used it for the expanse and a couple other things and i'm i'm the same way i i never consider looking for something there it has to be something that i know is there and i have no choice yeah yeah the one thing they could do in the uk is get some football on it and and that would get subscriptions people 
really annoyed because it, the way that the football rights are split in the UK, it's already over about five different subscription services. But even Amazon have got, they, they do it twice a season. They get something like 10 matches and they put them on in five days. Mm. And you have to have a subscription to Prime to see it. So even if you're only you only want to watch two out of those matches, you're looking at a year's Prime just to see those games. So if Apple did the same, people would then seriously take a look at it because they don't want to miss any matches. I guess that's the logic of the baseball in the states because I, I would imagine baseball is around about as central to American culture as. No, not quite as central as soccer is to the UK. It's very hard to be as central as soccer is to UK culture. Mm-hmm. That's right. There's a lot of people here that think baseball is boring and don't want to watch it, but it is definitely a national pastime. Yeah. Yeah. Heck, if they even just got the snooker in the UK. Just, uh, anyway. <laughs> okay, um, let us have a look at our main stories. We have four main stories this uh, month. Uh, we will be talking about... Uh, Apple's continuing strife with their workers. Um, they return to the office slightly rockily and uh, they're facing unionization efforts in the States, which is new. Then we will move on to uh, another group of people who aren't quite as happy with Apple as they could be. The video pros um, expressed their desire for Apple to do better on certain fronts. Then Apple had another earnings call because they happen four times a year and it's that time and then finally uh, we have apple's self-service repair program has gone live-ish in the states with lots of caveats so now there are four stories that we will be getting to so let us start with the first one so i you could argue this is two small stories but i i just thought they're part of a theme and we have we have been the last couple of months on the show We've not made it a central story, but it's been either a quick story or it's just sort of been bubbling in one of the other sections. Apple do not seem to have the love of their employees at the moment, or the employees who don't love Apple are more visible than they ever were before or something like that. But something has definitely changed over at Apple. And there, there is now a return to work. Um, and, it, you know, it's a phased return to work and the employees have gone back, but uh, a public letter was released sorry an open letter was uh, released by some employees and they're pretty darn harsh on apple um they call apple out for having released a very shiny ad about escaping the torment of a terrible boss that forces you to work from the office while they work for a terrible boss that forces them to work from the office when i saw that ad i thought apple that was the stupidest thing apple had ever done um but they also say that they don't like being treated like children and I sort of felt, yeah, Tim Cook is really not grokking what at least a subset of his workers are saying. He's not hearing them. Anyone have any thoughts on that first part? I totally agree with you. The world has changed. If if the lockdown at the beginning of the pandemic had been for two weeks, fair enough. Bit, bit awkward, you know. Mm. Got to deal with it. But it's rumbled on for almost well two it's, it's over two years now yeah he's he's it's like he's not read the memo he's not read the room yeah people had to change their lives i mean i've always worked from home uh the last time i worked in an office was 1994 
and it's been comical to watch. First of all, at the beginning was like, oh, I can't do this from home. But people quickly got into it and realised there's a lot of benefits. Benefits to them, yes, but also benefits to the employers. And it's once it was like, well, we'll all go back. It'll all be like it was before. No, it won't. There's no way it could ever be like that because people have seen an alternative and it gives them a better quality of life. The thing with Apple that's just so funny and nobody seems, not in these stories I've read, they're not pushing this side of it, but Apple wrapped themselves up in the green eco-friendly flag yeah. of a hat. One of the biggest things they could do is not have people driving to the office. Yeah. Let them work from home and they just don't get it. I cannot understand how they are so tone deaf over this. It's as though it's something personal with Tim Cook. He, he, he There's just no movement at all. And the funniest part was last summer, they kept pushing it forward and pushing it forward and pushing it forward. And I thought, is he on the run here? Yeah. But He's still stuck to the fact that we're all coming back to the office. It's all going back to be the way it was before. And it's not. People have seen different and they want different. And Apple need to think different. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with that. I agree with that 100 percent. I think, though, there's two caveats I would throw in just for um, comprehensiveness sake. One is I think some of the pushing back the date was because. COVID just wasn't going away. It kept, the rates kept dying down. And then as precautions were loosened, they went right back up again. That happened multiple times. And then the other, but it, yes, you're absolutely right. It absolutely did feel like, and in the face of the policies that they were going to enact, it felt like they were um, kicking the can down the road for sure. And then the other one is Apple is a mixed company of software and hardware. And I work in a company that primarily, no matter what people do, the end result is all about hardware. And I totally understand that people who are involved with hardware have to be hands-on. They have to be on-site because there's certain things like tooling and equipment and even just getting an understanding of the stuff that you're working with, aside from the fact that you literally don't have the things you need to do your job at home, but just understanding it and, and wrestling with ideas and coming up with alternative solutions for hardware, you you have no choice but to be hands-on. You have no choice but to be working with the tools and equipment that only a company like Apple can afford. That kind of thing has to be done in person. And I totally understand those people needing to be on site a majority of the time, or at least available to be on site as needed at the very least. And so that means they have to be in the area. But for the people that don't, for the software people, and primarily because we know in the past, a lot of times people developing software for hardware products don't even get to see the hardware. They don't even know what it looks like. Maybe they're not even 100% sure what the product is. Yeah, Those people don't need to be there. And it really does feel like a backwards way of thinking and it it almost feels like well we spent all this money on this giant campus you know so what that's fine uh big mistake maybe maybe not but roll with the punches and realize that the world has changed but but i do think that the distinction needs to be made between people who have a hardware role and people who have either primarily or entirely a software role yeah like there are people for whom the where they work is not relevant and there are people for whom it is relevant and it 
this is this sounds I never thought I'd say these words. But the Irish public sector is ahead of the ball here in terms of trusting their workers to Apple. And that is ridiculous. Because the Irish public sector treat workers like two year olds and always have. And we are now on well, officially it's a one year trial, but I'm pretty sure it's permanent. I am now at home two days a week, every week, and that is now our new arrangement. And that is because over the pandemic, the old excuse of, yeah, but if we let them work from home, they wouldn't do any work, was made an absolute mockery of when all of us were at least as productive as when we were in the office. And many of us were more productive than when we were in yeah. the office. And that whole well, school marm, if I'm not standing over your shoulder looking at you, you're not working mentality has been proven to be ridiculous. And it seems to me like someone in Apple thinks that if you're not standing over your workers, they're not working because they're all children. And that that came across in the letter. And the other thing I thought was hilarious in the letter was, that, you know, Tim Cook saying, well, you know, it's important that people randomly meet each other. And they're like, yeah, we're literally stopped from doing that in Apple because Apple believe in secrecy to such an nth degree that we're not allowed to randomly bump into people and have conversations. That is literally forbidden. So that's ridiculous. That's why everyone should kill dinosaurs to come into the office. Yeah, and the thing is, if you have people that are doing a good job, it means that they have a work ethic and they're self-motivated. If, right. if people don't have those two things, they're not doing a good job already, even in person at the office. So being at home for the people that can do it gives them more flexibility to get more work done because they can pop out and do things with their family as needed and then get back and do work at different times. And it it, it does make some people actually far more productive. Sort of for me personally, so I, you know, myself and the better half, we don't have kids. It's just the two of us at home. So I actually, the reason I benefit from working at home isn't that kind of a family flexibility. It's the fact that I have interruption free time to do the kind of work like programming and stuff where a one minute interruption puts me back 20 minutes. And so the days I'm home, I can do that kind of work and I'm just so productive. And then the days when you're doing little itty bitty things, you're you know de- closing calls and stuff. And what you really need to be able to do is literally stick your head above the you know the the, the cubicle farm and shout, "Does anyone have a bloody clue what the latest version of Office Bladdy Blad does with Thingamabob?" And have someone else pop their head up like a gopher and go, "Yeah, do this." And so we've all sort of ended up in this sort of area where some tasks we do on the days we're at home. And other tasks we do in the days we're in the office. And while we're in the office, we could never get any programming done because everyone's interrupting everyone. But all of those little things we could really do with someone's help, it's much easier to just ask the air and have someone answer you than to pop it into Teams and wait for someone to read Teams and yada, yada, yada. So hybrid is actually extremely valuable. I've got to agree with you. And in my industry, which is training, it provides the ability to flip the narrative. If you're in this country and you are the training department or you're contracted to the training department and you're training people in Australia, the rule was obviously it had to be during work hours in the UK, which is Mm. not friendly in Australia. But now if someone's working from home, I'm quite happy to train at four in the morning if that suits them because I'm at home. I will work out what day and what time, you know, I will, how I will arrange my week. And it actually makes it better for the business. The business can offer services that they couldn't offer before. But they at least have been willing to look at that and see that as a benefit. And Tim Cook just seems to be like a tram on a track. Maybe he should have thought about that campus before they actually built it. It obviously didn't see this one coming. 
But he is actually reminding me of an MP that we have in this country called Jacob Rees-Mogg, oh, who's been around the offices, leaving messages on headed note paper saying, I'm looking forward to seeing you back in the office. Tone deaf. <laughs> I thought I couldn't dislike that man more, but clearly there is no there is no depth. Story Bart, but with each one, my loathing increases, which is impressive because I didn't think I could. But there we go. I've learned something new today, and thankfully, Scott, you have no idea who this gumbean is. And long may it continue. We have a few of our own, I think. Well, that, okay, that is fair. That is, <laughs> I won't I won't argue with you on that point. And then the second story is very much in your shores, Scott. Um, Apple Retail, of all of the employees of Apple, Apple Retail employees have always been second-class citizens. And I have been... The attitude Apple have shown those employees from the bag search thing a few years ago, which they finally lost in court recently enough, like that to me just showed a terrible attitude towards their employees. Well, now that we have the great resignation or the great reorganization or whatever the heck we're going to call it, there is now a real move to unionize in places where that was unthinkable, like Starbucks and Amazon and Apple. In the space of April, there are now three Apple stores where unionization movements are at various points along the chain. The first one to make the news was Grand Central uh, Apple Store in New York, where the workers are demanding $30 an hour as part of a unionizing effort. But actually, the first uh, place to actually file the paperwork was in Atlanta. Uh, and then there's also a third Apple Store in Maryland that is also going down that road. And then pretty much the only response we've seen from Apple, which is not a statement or anything, but it's just uh, we know from reporting that Apple have hired uh, basically anti-union lawyer experts to basically have lots of experience of busting unionization efforts. So speaking of tone deaf, there we go. Um, And also this month news broke that Apple are cutting back staff at Genius Bars, which I'm sure is not helping. Um, Yeah, I mean... I, I don't really have much first-hand experience of any of this stuff, but I am I sort of feel the workers are on the right on this one, but that I may be wrong on that because I don't really know. Does anyone have a better view of it? It's just intriguing to me that we're now in an era when unions really seem to make sense again. And I'll admit... Probably a lot of my views are just me getting older and seeing things differently than I did when I was younger. But I was always kind of happy that I was in an industry that didn't that I felt like didn't need unions because a lot of my friends that were in other industries that had unions, such as trades types of things, right, like construction, electrician, that kind of thing. Mm. I always saw them as counterproductive in a way because they put a lot of money into the union they had such strict things about, oh, now you have to take a break. You literally drop what you're doing and go. And I hated that kind of thing. Like if I'm working, I just want to do my job and and so on and so forth. But now, now we're to a point where these unions are necessary and a good idea. And it does disappoint me very much that Apple is going down the route of trying to um, – Rather than dealing with the problem, they're trying to just put a halt to it from the inside. And it's, I guess it's the traditional response. I sure don't like it. 
it seems to be part of the same mindset, right? If you don't trust your workers to work from home, why would you why would you try to figure out why unions are why workers want to unionize? Why, why would you try to deal with them directly? And I know we've mentioned Tim a few times, but I'm not sure the problem is in Tim Cook's office rather than Deirdre O'Brien's office. She's head of people. So if yeah, she was point. in favor of, you know, so I think her attitude is probably at least as important. So I think in, uh, I'm going to say the United States because it's the only country I'm familiar with working in, but I feel like there is a cultural thing here about a reflexive, uh, reflexive anti-union attitude by employers that don't have unions or don't deal with unions. And I think it is built in, it's reflexive and I, I understand some of the reasons, but it is very much just a default position. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is that, but still, it's a default position that is disappointing. I'd have to question how much money they're paying the lawyers. Uh, because they're not working for £30, $30 an hour. They could actually afford to pay the employees what they're asking for rather than give it to the lawyers. Perish the thought. But yeah. And I, to quote to quote your good self again, maybe think different as opposed to just reflectively reflexively hiring the best anti-union lawyers. And the other thing, actually, just as as someone from this side of the pond looking in, the notion that it's perfectly fine for the company to have captive audience meetings where they basically fill the workers' heads with anti-union propaganda that they are forced to attend, and Apple have been doing such sessions. Come on, like Jesus, that does seem pretty questionable. If they weren't up to mischief, they wouldn't need the lawyers. <laughs> there, there's something, there is something to that. There is something to that. And it's not as if there, there hasn't been anger building among that workforce. And frankly, it's not as if it's uh, as if they haven't earned it. Like I say, I, that bag search thing just made me so cranky on behalf of those workers. It's like, you must stay here in work at your own cost while we search your bag because we don't trust you. It, we're back to trust again. Why don't Apple trust their workers? Anyway. So, Elaine, the reason I invited you on this month especially was because you are someone who works in the creative field with creative professionals. And creative professionals have penned Apple a letter. So, there was a time where everyone was afraid Apple had actually completely forgotten about the pro users. And in fairness to Apple, they regrouped they completely redesigned the Mac Pro. They created a whole new team inside Apple to eat their own dog food and actually properly use Apple's Pro apps for doing properly Pro things, the Pro Tools team. So on the whole, Apple have been on a much better path. How and ever, better is not necessarily good enough. And people who make films for a living have penned an open letter to Tim Cook basically saying... We like Final Cut Pro, but no one in our industry does because this tool isn't actually up to the job of being used in the modern film industry. I, the single biggest issue they have is that a grand total of one person can open a Final Cut Pro project at any one time, whereas that's not how modern filmmakers work. They work collaboratively in what I can only imagine must be the world's most amazingly CPU and RAM intensive Google Docs project, uh, 
which is basically multiple people on multiple computers editing the same video project in real time with each other. I can't, the, the computational amazingness of that fact makes my head explode. But then again, Apple didn't invent the M1 Mac, so they really should be able to do this kind of thing. So basically, the film the filmmakers have written to Tim Cook saying, we want to use Final Cut, but right now it is not up to the job. You need to do better. And I, I think the first thing I'd, I would ask Elaine, because I'm not qualified to know whether they're talking rubbish or whether they have a point, but it seems sane and reasonable to me. What's your view of the critique? It's like deja vu, because these will be the same ones who were foaming at the mouth back in 2011 when they brought out Final Cut Pro Ten, And they said <laughs> it was for pros. They'll be the same ones. I think they just want the software to work perfectly for their job. Don't we all? But my first thought was when I was reading it, who are you? Are you the self-appointed guardians of the Final Cut Pro legacy or what? My second thought was, oh, these will be the same ones that were foaming at the mouth, you know, back, back in the day. They're focused on their particular collective needs. And they're trying to put that onto Apple. But that has never worked, ever. Apple won't be moved. They seem to have a goal in mind where they're heading. And even if that means throwing out everything that they've done so far, which they did 11 years ago, that's what they'll do. And they'll have a destination in mind and they'll plod along until they get there. They have never really been that interested in individual users' workflows or even a big group of users and their workflow. I don't see this making a jot of difference. Some of the things that they want, they didn't actually use the term roadmap of features, but I think we can throw that one in because they want beta programs, all the things that Apple don't want. Yeah, also, Apple are not going to do that. You're right. That that's... No, but they're not. That's not the way they work. Plus the fact... In terms of software, you put a roadmap in place and it's for X number of years. As we've said, Apple works in individual silos. So the software people are working on the software. They don't know what the hardware people are up to. And there could be a change in the hardware to such a degree that the roadmap they had publicly stated for the software cannot happen in that way. And that would seem to be a very good reason why they don't do it. They never have done it and they never will do it. They have never shied away from taking out what you could consider pro-level features or at least advanced features. And then sometimes they build them back up, but not always. So I remember, this is a standing joke on our podcast, the real new iWork. I've been waiting since 2011, I think. 2009 was the last decent version. And they took away a lot of the features and they, with the iPad's arrival, they made them more on a par with each other. There are still features missing 10 years on. They've never added back. Some new features they've added. They've also added back features that they previously took out. But some of the features are still not there today. Now, they never said there was a roadmap for that, but that's why they won't do it. So I think to ask for that is, is utterly ridiculous. And another thing is it should be about your workflow. You cannot rely on any manufacturer. I'm thinking Adobe have a roadmap that they put out for Premiere Pro. 
a lot of pros use Premiere Pro, but you couldn't, I wouldn't trust their roadmap either. I wouldn't trust anybody's roadmap. I have to make sure when I'm editing video that I'm using the right workflow for me and I'm prepared to be incredibly flexible as to what editor that actually means. And sometimes it could be, I remember using ScreenFlow. Uh, my, my videos are heavy on screen recording yeah. and it broke. So I'd, I'd got it. I'd got it directly from the manufacturer. My colleague had got it from the app store. It took seven weeks for the for the fix to get through the app store review process. So during that seven weeks, any output needed to be done on a machine that had a direct version because that was fixed in, in 24 hours. So even with a roadmap of five, 10 years, you can still have little problems along the way that could hugely impact a professional workflow. I think I think they should look at themselves first and look at their workflows first. I, I don't hand off any issues that I may have to a particular manufacturer. If I'm in the middle of recording something and I've recorded it and it's fine, now I need to edit it. And, and whatever my primary editor would be isn't happy today. My workflow is such that I know that could happen. And I make sure that all of the files are readable by all of the other apps. And I just switch in the middle of it. It's a pain. It's going to take a bit longer, but at least I can get the job done. They seem to be handing off and saying, this is what we want. This is our shopping list. Can you do that? But if you look at those features, they might be great if you're professionals. Do Apple really want to sell into that market? Because if they do, there's kind of... <clears throat> they're going to be duty bound to make sure that there aren't any issues with workflows and processes or they'll get even more criticism. Apple take features away and they add other features to make the things easier to use. So I'd have to question whether, or, or, although it's a pro app, they say it's a pro app. Do they mean a pro pro app? I was just mean- going to say there's a spectrum, isn't there? A prosumer app. And I I don't think a final cut has been pro pro. I think it's prosumer. And I think Apple are happy with that. Right. Taking higher than that would give them a lot more grief and, and a lot more work to do with it to triple check everything. Because at the moment it can just be, well, we never said that that was going to work. And they just release it. In terms of why they've written the letter, I've noticed people are so tribal with their apps and services. They seem to define themselves by the app they use. I know life's online now and it's all community driven and it seems a sense of belonging is almost more important than the app. I see this a lot with Notes apps. I use Rome. <laughs> I use Obsidian. Well, I've always used Evernote. And there's nothing wrong with it. And it becomes like a battle royal. They seem to be forgetting that what's right for one person need not necessarily be right for another. There's such a lack of tolerance and people are so judgmental. And I've actually heard people come to me and say, I want to make a video or I want to do some audio and I need to know how to use and then fill in the blank. And the blank will be the most expensive app or the one that everybody else uses or the one that an influencer uses. And I'll say, what is it you're trying to create? And it'll be, well, why don't you just use iMovie? I can't use that. Again, as though it's a judgment on, on, I can't tell people I've used iMovie. Well, don't tell them then. It doesn't matter. They don't care. 
oh, a re- really good video from Canva. Just don't tell anybody and it's fine. I feel these these people who've signed this letter, they're not looking at anybody else's interests, not Apple's interests, not maybe the majority of the users' interests who aren't pro-pros. They're just looking at what's right for them. I so think Apple will ignore them. I have a question for you, right? So assume, if I go off the rails here, stop me because I'm not an expert on this. My understanding is that the two big players in the room here are Avid, who are still hanging on somehow, and Adobe. Is is that fair? I would say so. And my understanding is that their pricing structure is quite different to Final Cut Pro, because I own a copy of Final Cut Pro. I do not own a copy of Premiere, nor do I own a copy of whatever the heck Avid are calling their doodad this week. And I think that's because there's a big price difference between the two. Is that... Is Final I, Cut Pro cheaper? I Apple guess don't seem to want to make money from Final Cut Pro. I mean, the first version of Final Cut Pro I bought was more expensive than my laptop. I think it was nearly £3,000. And it came, I actually weighed the box. It was that heavy. And there was 20 of manuals in it. Oh, how quaint. Okay, well, I, I guess what I'm driving at, right? So the the reason people, there are not many people in the world making at the very, very, very top end, making like motion pictures, that is a very small market. So the only way to make money in that market is to charge a bloody fortune for it and then give them all the features they need, but charge them a bloody fortune for it. I don't think that's the market Apple gives a flying fig about. Totally agree. Which makes me question why these people want to use Final Cut, unless they're thinking, well, it would as you're saying, in terms of cost, it would be a huge cost saving. But having said that, they're talking about it supporting multiple plugins and you probably pay more for the plugins than you would Final Cut. So by the time you finished, it could end up costing more than they think it's going to cost. But Adobe can provide the roadmap. Adobe can, and all the, the other companies providing, you know, high-end video editing can do that because they need to know the roadmap as well. Apple don't. Apple never have with software. It's very dangerous to rely on any software from Apple and expect it to do what it does today, tomorrow or next week. It will do tomorrow or next week what Apple need it to do, not necessarily what you need it to do. And whereas most companies need to look at the user base and at least consider what they might want to do. Apple don't need to do that. They don't need to do that at all, so why would they? So what confuses me a little bit is that from a hardware standpoint, they have gone there because the Mac Pro is a very, very niche market and they did go into that niche, but they don't seem to want to follow that up by going into the same niche with their software. So they seem to be happy to sell you an amazing Mac Pro to run Adobe. Yes, they do. And sometimes when they're promoting stuff like that, it's Adobe software that's on it, which is basically saying, yes, we have Final Cut Pro 10. And if you're a prosumer, you might want to use that. But we appreciate if you're a pro, you're going to want to use Adobe. So is the the addressable market, is the market Apple see as being the ideal Final Cut Pro user, the same people they just built the amazing Mac Studio for? I don't think Apple think it is, no. Okay, that's interesting. 
Because I would have thought I, the Mac Studio was a prosumer machine. It was like the high-end machine for people who weren't nuts. Or sorry, who aren't in the very, very, very highest echelons of high-end. Maybe there's, there's too much divergence between the hardware and the software that the, t- the teams are not talking to each other enough. So they're, mm. they're developed totally separately and they're marketed separately and the the roadmap and the thinking in it, it's, it's all separate. It's not a cohesive single output, is it? It doesn't feel like it to me because I sort of feel like Apple are trying to win back the pros with the one hand by releasing stuff like the Mac Pro. And then on the other hand, they're not delivering an equivalent product in the software end. And in terms of photography, they basically pulled the plug on Aperture, went, yeah, 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 we're going to make photos amazing, and then forgot to do anything. (laughs) That was ridiculous. That was totally ridiculous. And really, if you think about it, although Final Cut Pro is still there, that could happen tomorrow with it. And I can understand these pros thinking, oh, well, if we go that way, so if we can get them to agree to a roadmap, if, if Apple decide it's not in their interest, then it's gone. Yeah, because they are ultimately Apple are a consumer company first, whereas Adobe are a pro company first. If I was a pro, I'd hitch me wagon there. It's unfortunate it's subscription, but yes. And- well, no, but if I was a pro, I'd, see, this, I'm a weird person because I think that's a feature, not a bug. Um, I love the fact that I write off as a business expense my copy of Photoshop. It's just every month it is this bill to Adobe. And I never have to think about upgrades. And my accountant is never like, oh, my God, why did you just spend hundreds and hundreds of euro this year compared to last year? No. This is what it costs for me to edit photos forever and for always. And that is the price. I really love that. Yeah, and I do think uh, I do think it is true that with men with with a good company behind it, the subscription model does result in more bug fixes more features being released quicker over over time than something where you have to wait for a big release and and try to get a lot of money out of each and every single release it actually does work um you know you can sometimes people some people won't benefit from subscriptions on certain software some people will but but i do believe that the subscription model does allow for that flexibility on the part of the software developer i also think it helps them develop features that are actually more useful instead of more sexy Mm-hmm. Right. Because if you're driving towards upgrades, you have to make the shiny. Whereas if you're just doing a subscription product, you just keep making the product better. A subscriber that's already paying for it will be happy if you fix something. Yes. Fix yes. doesn't sell well. Actually, that's a that's a very that's a fantastic point because the thought of charging someone for a fix that's offensive. If you tell me for a paid upgrade, oh yeah, the feature is we've made it not broken. I will be offended. If you charge me the same amount of money as a subscription, I will be delighted. It's the same thing. And yet when you do it one way, it's amazing. And when you do it the other way, it's an insult. They've rewired your mindset. I was going to say, for a professional, the entire suite is $48 a month. It's not that much. You can make that on one job. So for a pro, really? so even for the for the full on video and the whole who has is just fifty quid a month. Yep, I pay forty eight dollars. Uh, I've had oh. the subscription since it came out. The most vocal seem to be the people who were using the software. 
but I wouldn't say they'd actually bought the software. <laughs> Very diplomatic of you. They could see a future where because it's subscription and there's an account and you've got to log in and it's activated, that they wouldn't be using it at all unless they pay £48 a month, dollars a month. It isn't that much for what you get, but I can understand if you are not a pro, um, and I'm using the term pro there to mean you're not making something and selling it, so you don't have revenue coming in that you're using that tool for then it's an obscene amount of money if it's just a hobby. But then if it's your number one hobby, how much do people spend on other hobbies? My father was a radio amateur. Thousands was the answer to that. Thousands. Say, if, if he likes hitting the small white balls with sticks, you spend an awful lot of money on your annual fees. Yeah. So I think it was a gut reaction that people didn't like the subscription. But if you're a pro, it pays for itself within a couple of days. Yeah. And I don't think they do mind that. And the thing is, Adobe don't just give you, like, here's Photoshop and there's Bridge. Illustrator, InDesign, InCopy, and all of the little apps that that they throw in, XD and stuff like that, and they just keep adding to it. So actually, it it is a fairly good value depending on your point of view. And if your point of view is you want to spend £50 and then have it last for seven years, then that's what Affinity is for. But in terms of video editing... People have been pushing Affinity to make a video editing app and they're pushing back saying it's not our superpower. Yeah. And uh, it, it's kind of, so I have some related stories that I thought definitely sort of fit into the story adjacently. Uh, Apple have released uh, more firm, beta firmware updates for their studio display, um, which apparently doesn't quite fix the video yet, but it sucks less. Uh, and I have also released some updates to both Final Cut and iMovie, um, which is nice. And Apple definitely went on a bit of a PR blitz around their Pro Tools. Um, I, a 15-minute documentary from Skywalker Sound, which was just basically full of screenshots of Apple products being used by a rather major div- you know, producer of content. Uh, and then Apple just decided, and I always get, it rubs me up the wrong way when companies pull on heartstrings, but they decided to do a dream studio makeover to an aspiring filmmaker and basically make lots of tears come out by doing what is for Apple a very small token thing and getting way more praise than they deserve. But I am very cynical sometimes. You can't tell, honestly. <laughs> no, no, no one would guess. Um, does anyone have any final thoughts on the the video pro conversation before i jump us on the only thing that i see what he's got to say whether there is a reply from apple i don't (laughs) i wager you silence yeah (laughs) i i feel like the whole pro software thing can be encapsulated in the idea that i don't think apple fundamentally understands how anybody who isn't them does their jobs i really don't and i whether they should and whether they should be able to be trusted to give reliable solutions to pros is is one question, but I I I don't think pros should ever expect it. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be that way. I'm just saying, realistically speaking, I don't think Apple understands what other people need to do their jobs in a in a reliable fashion. I think Apple understood. At some point in time, some yes. portion of Apple understood that when they created the pro te- the the pro apps team within Apple specifically to eat their own dog food. Yep. But it doesn't seem to have made much difference. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just feel like, and even with consumer software, like the iWork thing, like there's so many products that Apple makes, software speaking, that just wither on the vine or yeah. never meet their potential. And it's a, it's a chronic problem. It is something that they consistently do over and over again, and it manifests itself in different ways. But it's some kind of inherent problem to Apple that they have with software and keeping it good enough for what people actually need to do with it and i don't know it's a, i don't know what that systemic problem is is resulting from but it's it's definitely there i completely that when i moved to a mac i was a zealot everything was an apple app you know i was numbers yeah. pages keynote all of them final cut pro i i movie everything and just while you were talking, I was thinking the last one that I relied on, which was in my mind, I can't live without this. This has to work was Keynote. Keynote mm. had a bug and it ate my slides. So I, I delivered this presentation. There was about 180 slides in it. I'd saved it. And at the end of the presentation, I usually make a PDF of it. And I went back to the presentation and half the slides had gone. Mm. I did the time machine thing. Nothing. So I thought, oh, it's an iCloud blip. Don't put it in iCloud. A couple of weeks later, it happened again. I thought, how am I going to work around this? So I put this huge backup system in place. It backed up every five minutes. I would never lose more than five minutes. It happened a third time. And when it happened the third time, it was about five minutes before I was going live. And I thought, I can go back to the archive. I can pull out the last one. But you know what? I've not got time for this. And that was the last one that fell by the wayside. And I now use PowerPoint. So every single one of the Apple apps that I was using from 2006 onwards has gone. There isn't one left, not one. I don't think Apple care. In my mind, Apple have become a hardware company and an operating system company. And they still have some apps that haven't quite died yet. But there is no effort going into Apple software. It is just not on their radar. They make amazing operating systems and they make amazing hardware and their software sucks. Yeah, I don't I don't know if that's how they would characterize themselves, but that is absolutely what the results say that their priorities are. Like it's one of those things where you can say I prioritize this in my life all you want, but what you actually do indicates what you really do prioritize. And yeah, you're 100 percent right. And that does not make me happy because when they want to make good software, they could but they haven't. On that depressing note, Apple made lots of money. <laughs> or otherwise known as main story number three, Apple's Q2 2022 earnings call. Basically, rev record revenue, $97.3 billion. Services reached a new record of 825 million subscribers. And um, Apple basically... Managed to sell more of everything apart from the iPad. And the only reason they didn't sell more of that was because they literally didn't have chips to shove in them because, oh, yeah, we had a bit of a supply chain issue because of a pandemic. But, uh, yeah. But I think one thing that I haven't seen explored, which I'm a little bit curious about, is those chips are the same as are going in other products. Yeah. So the choice was made to push those off to the other products, which indicates to me that Apple knew that those other products were going to sell in better numbers than the iPad anyway. So I don't think, 
I think well, they told us. I'm trying to remember whether it was in the last journey scope, but they told there, it was definitely a news story that Apple said they were prioritizing iPhone over iPad. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that was a leak or if that was an Apple statement in an earnings call. I wish I remembered where they had said it. Yeah, you're right, Bart. I'm I'm uh, I'm doing what I accused Apple of and only thinking of my own workflow. I was thinking of my iPad Pro with the M1 in it, whereas that is not the only CPU used in iPads by any stretch. That is also true, actually. But even... Like, there's not really that much difference between an M1 and an A, whatever. I mean, it's, it is just a marketing thing. Their brains are basically the same as each other. Like, they have the same graphics cores, the same computational cores. Uh, the only thing that's different is the ratio of them and the peripheries stuck onto the SOC around them, you know, whether it's USB-C or Lightning or whatever. Right, but I guess what I mean is they are they they are a different part even though the core is the same and it mm. means that they still made a allocation a manufacturing allocation decision that de-emphasized the ones that go into the iPad yes. there there's it still seems to me like there was a decision made by Apple that this is the product we're de-emphasizing and there has to be a reason why well i yes and i'm I, i'm almost certain we officially know that as well as just by rumor but basically there's only so much capacity in the factories and apple get to decide how that capacity is used and apple decided the capacity was going to iPhones and Macs i would argue actually sorry you're de- you're absolutely dead right because they are now sharing factories and capacity so yes absolutely you're right yes um, what's almost more interesting than the official stuff? Oh yeah, apparently more people are buying i more iPhone buyers are switchers from Android this quarter than previously, which is great. Um, but of course Apple don't give us real numbers anymore. So I actually thought the numbers from the uh, f- from the not Apple were actually almost more interesting. Um, so according to pretty much everyone, Gartner Counterpoint Strategy Analytics, everyone is uh, while the exact numbers vary between the different analysts. Um, the pattern is ubiquitous. The PC market is shrinking. The Mac market is growing simultaneously, um, which is kind of impressive. Um, Apple continue to utterly dominate the tablet market, even though they're de-emphasizing it. Their market share, according to Canalys, is nearly 39%, which is really quite impressive. And iPhones are also doing amazingly well. Um the only, I'm not even sure it's a fly in the ointment because it's basically, if you take all of the iPhones together, regardless of what shape or size they are, they have 70% of the US market. That, As a European, that blows my mind. They do not have anything like that here, not even vaguely. And everyone is going, like, oh my God, the iPhone 13 mini is a disaster. It only has 13, 3% of the market. And I'm thinking, that's millions and millions and millions of phones. Um, But yeah, so... Yeah, it's an excellent business all by itself. Yeah. Um, actually, that's an interesting question. So here in Ireland, it's it's very much Android land with with iPhone. So sort of like, you know, I'd say two parts Android, one part iPhone. How do you see it uh, over in the UK, Elaine? I'd say about 50-50. <sighs> A lot of Android users that I talk to want an iPhone, but they don't want to pay the price for an iPhone. I I see people moving from Android to iPhone, but I never see people going the other way. Oh, that's interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I have a, 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 a data set of one at the moment. Um, I have one colleague who just came into work just, I think it was Wednesday. I was like, yeah, I've finally gotten fed up of, of my Android phone. Uh, I just picked up this product red iPhone 13. Oh, it's very pretty, actually. Do you like it? And he was like, oh, my God, I'm so glad I changed. So, okay, well, that's a data, point of, data set of one, but one a very happy customer. Yeah, um, I guess in related news, Apple uh, shipped a million made in India iPhones in the first quarter of 2022. And uh, that is a 50% increase in production in India. So I guess that's good in terms of diversification. I didn't find anything particularly earth chattering about either what the executives said during the earnings call or the earnings themselves. I, I thought it was. Yeah, good. Well done. Nicely played. Next. Do either of you two feel we need to give this more discussion? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I listened to it all and it was all very samey. Uh, they're not going to give anything away. They, You know, like you're saying, they've even taken away the stats. But I think that's because people overanalyze them. Also, there was no one else in the market doing it. And I guess if none of your competition are doing it, you're literally giving away business intelligence. Mm -hmm. I think the only only interesting things to me in earnings calls anymore, well, not the only interesting, but the only thing that I really pay attention to and interest in earnings calls anymore is when they do provide the tiny bit of forecast related to like shortages and stuff like that. That's interesting to me because... That's out of the norm, and that is something that some that is something you can actually get interested in. But the rest of it is very, very blah blah, very corporate, very predictable. Yeah. What is it? What is Apple's euphemism? Because they 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 again due to COVID war etc. They again didn't give formal guidance, but uh, it was it's, it's color. I believe is the euphemism they use. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not predicting really. Yeah, we'll mm-hmm. some color on that. I. Nothing in the in the color stood out to me. Did anything stand out to you? Uh, not that I can remember, but I that proves it to pay... me, Scott. Well, I didn't pay very close attention, to be quite honest. Yeah, but if they'd said something earth chattering, it would have piqued your ear. Maybe. Oh, I appreciate the credit that you give me there. Yeah, it's <laughs> you know. Anyway, Elaine, did you have any 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 burning insights? No, not with the earnings call, no. To me, they're always the same. They're not going to give you any information that's earth-chattering like that. The funniest thing with it is the interpretation of, of the financial press after the event. You know, you can listen to the event and take away one thing and then you read it and think, no, 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 that's not what they said. But they've said something completely different. So I, I find it all a bit of a farce. Fair enough. I wish it wasn't important, but I kind of realised that it sort of is because, well, they are a company. They're not just doing it for the crack. Um, so it is important. Anyway, let us move on to our final main story. Main story number four, Apple's self-service repair program has started to be released and it was promised it would be a limited initial launch and then move on from there. So as of this month, if you live in the United States... And if you have a modern iPhone, be that modern being third gen iPhone SE, an iPhone 12 or an iPhone 13, and the repair you want to do is one of the ones Apple is covering, which does include screen and battery, which is probably the most important thing, 
then you can now, if you fancy it, have a go. And uh, assuming you don't do anything particularly daft, you will even preserve your warranty and you will actually have a fully functional device that will not put up little warnings to say that it's using non-official parts because the way this whole program works is that you do get the official parts. You can either buy Apple's tools permanently, which would be something you would do if you were a small repair shop or whatever, or I think I heard someone suggest that if you were technically good, you could probably do a nice business out of a college dorm repairing iPhones for people. So it might be worth buying your own kit in that situation. Uh, or you can rent the tools for seven days and then you get the proper tools you need to you know, remove the sealed in batteries and so on and so forth. So you have to send Apple your serial number so that the part is properly paired with your iPhone, which is why you can do things like replace Touch ID sensors and stuff without destroying the security of iOS. It's also why when you do the repair, you're not going to get warnings in the control center saying that these are unofficial parts. And I know some people are absolutely losing their ever-loving mind because you have to actually pair the parts, but I'm going, well, actually, there's really good security reasons for this. And secondly, as a potential buyer of a second-hand phone, I bloody well want this to be properly done so that I know I'm not buying some sort of garbage, right? I, either the phone has to warn me there's ridiculous parts in here or they're official Apple parts. And the only way to have it do that, for me, the second-hand customer, is to get people to register their serial number when they buy the replacement part. So I'm not even vaguely cranky about this. What I do think is fantastic is that Apple chose to make all the manuals freely available on the website. So anyone can go have a look at just how hard it is to do this stuff and just why it is that you probably want to pay a professional. And uh, the next step in this is going to be M1-based Macs in the US, and then it will roll out to the rest of the world. So I, I guess I've given my rather biased view of this new story. I, I think it's a good thing heading in the right direction. And I really like the restrictions Apple are putting on it as a potential purchaser of secondhand iPhones. I can't see many people wanting to try it themselves. I agree with you, whether they've read the manuals or not. I saw a video about somebody, they they bought an iPad and they were going to like completely renew the thing. I mean, it was in a bad, it was in a bad way. Mm. But when you saw what it took to actually dismantle it, things were actually glued in. And the only way to get them out was to break them and then buy another part for that part. There's no way even you'd have to be above highly skilled to be able to do this kind of thing. When they said, self-service repair I, I i think people had in mind i'll just buy a battery and slot it in the back and that's really not what it's about so it's a step in the right direction but i don't think apple are going to get there anytime soon this is to some extent the defensive move right it, it, i'm sort of reminded of monty python you know i have a right to have a baby yes but you actually don't have a womb yes but i have a right <laughs> Um, and to some extent, there's a lot of people who are very adamant that people should be able to repair their own phones. And we ask them, so will you be doing it? I say, oh, God, no, it's far too hard. I say, OK, good, good for you. Um, but there are, I think, regulators looking at this in, in that sort of a way, too. Yeah, the one thing I will say is that, like, I think that most people that are, are already going to be uh capable of doing this have probably used kits from iFixit and so forth in the past. I I kind of do like the fact that although they're expensive, 
the tools that Apple are providing might be helpful because although I have replaced several batteries in iPhones before, it's very difficult to do without bending the old battery that's coming out in, you know, even just a little bit, which can be dangerous. Uh, and it is, you know, it's something that it is a procedure that you definitely have to pay attention to or you'll damage other hardware that you're not intending to. But I think, yeah, it's a super limited audience. I, I kind of like the fact that now some of the tools that Apple uses when they do this stuff is available to people. It should make it easier to do these procedures without damaging things. But, yeah, it's I, it's definitely a defensive move. It's definitely not something that they really intend to go gung-ho on or they, they think that it's going to become a big part of their business or that they're going to pay attention to very much. Yeah. And they have outsourced this to a partner. The Kruger effect as well. Yeah. You know, cognitive bias, people with limited knowledge or competence think overestimate their knowledge and those that know what they're doing underestimate it. Yeah. People literally don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. Very dangerous. The point that they've half dismantled an iPhone and they, they've got all the pieces, I foresee they'll be heading off to the Apple store to have them finish the job. Yeah, I've managed to prove this to myself twice in the last month, which you think after the first time I'd have learned. But no, I'm an idiot to do it twice. So I thought I could replace the mud flaps on my Tesla myself. Well, turns out the back ones fit on the front, but they only fit on. They don't come off again. And the front ones don't fit on the back. So um, my car is off to the garage and I, I had to make a very embarrassing phone call to my mechanic going, yeah, so I thought I could do your job and it turns out I can't. Can you please rescue me? Um, so that's going to be an expensive whoopsie. And then I thought I'd buy myself a robotic lawnmower to save myself mowing the lawn. And I assumed, like a Roomba, you would buy it and point it at your lawn and it would mow the lawn. No. It needs to be wired in and you have to buy a whole separate kit separate to the lawnmower. So I bought the kit, and as soon as I opened the box, I realized it was full of bare wires. So yeah, this is not the job for me. So then I tried to get my electrician to come and fit my lawnmower, and he was like, yeah, well, if you'd bought it from me, I would fit it for you, but you didn't buy it from me, so uh, no. I actually have real work to do for people who buy things from me. (laughs) That's harsh. Yeah, so basically I have a Tesla with the wrong mud flaps on the front and nothing on the back and uh, a lawnmower sitting in my sitting room and I have to cut the grass the hard way tomorrow so I will not be partaking in Apple's self-service repair program although I might have been stupid enough to a month ago Have you found a way to attach a motor rower to the electric motor in your Tesla perhaps? (laughs) Maybe that's the answer I mow the grass with my Tesla Maybe Mm. Yes. Anyway, so yeah, I definitely Dunning Kruger. I have, I am very Dunning Kruger up at the moment, and feeling quite silly. I'm, I'm very glad to be married to someone who doesn't say "I told you so" because I've, I, he's entitled to so many of them at the moment, but uh, he's been very gracious, very gracious. Okay, folks, I am going to uh, wrap up the main stories. Just a few quick stories before we round out the day. Um. With my security hat on, I was immensely happy to read a press release from the Fido Alliance on World Password Day. Apple, Microsoft and Google are joining, have all agreed to implement a new cross-platform standard developed in conjunction with the W3C, which is lots and lots of big names. End result, website and app authentication 
across device without passwords in a secure way where we basically touch our finger on our phone and it'll just bloody work. There's lots and lots of cool techie stuff in the background, but at the end of the day, passwordless authentication that is secure and user-friendly coming to Microsoft, Apple, and Google by the end of the year. Thank you. Guessing no one disagrees. I'm hoping no one disagrees with that. Absolutely not. Good. No, I'm kind of fascinated to see how this plays out and, and see, I don't have an understanding of what the what the technology would enable in terms of adoption, like how hard it would be to adopt and so forth. So it's interesting to watch. Yeah, I think it's a good move. Anything to get past the the crazy system that we have now is good. I, to, to be honest, the big change here is actually the bit that you're worried about. So we've had the con- so we've had the Fido Alliance created a standard where you could go website to website and turn your phone into effectively a hardware token for that website. But you had to do it one website at a time and it was mm-hmm. tied to your device. So it, your iPhone was then able to log into your GitHub account or whatever. But if you bought a new phone, you had to register that phone as if it was like a new dongle. And so the actual user experience was awful. It was like fine for two or three websites, your bank and something else important maybe. But it just didn't scale. It was just not a good experience. And if you had four or five devices, you had to do four or five registrations. It was a mess. What this standard does is it allows the private keys to be securely synchronized. So you sign up to a website once using this new standard, which will just be as easy as using whatever your biometric is. And then the private keys will synchronize security over iCloud or the Windows equivalent or the Google equivalent. And you can buy new phones and have it on multiple phones and it'll just work. And that's why this is a big deal, because the tech has been there, but not the user experience. Mm -hmm. And what they've managed to work out by getting all of these big names around the table together is the user experience. So I, I genuinely believe, I'm not being Pollyanna here, I genuinely believe this actually will make this is actually a plausible solution for the end of passwords. So this doesn't require site owners to have to do anything to support it, is it? Oh, no, it it will. Absolutely, it does, because... That's that's the part I'm wondering about adoption. Like random, well, I guess Amazon's the only bookstore most people buy from, but, you know, random music website like CD Baby or whatever, random bookstore thing, random, I'm buying this thing, this piece of software from this. That That's the kind of thing that I'm thinking about that people are still going to have to be generating passwords for for a long time, maybe. I guess, yeah, it won't happen overnight. But the fact that the W3C is involved here definitely helps a lot. And the fact that all the browsers are going to have support for this. But you're right, it does involve that change on the website. At the moment, what a website holds is your username, some sort of way of identifying you, right? Be that a username or an email address. They have some way, some token that says this is Bart. And the other thing they hold is a shared secret. And the problem being that it's a shared secret, they hold your password and you know your password. So when they get breached, your password goes all over the place. The big change here is they will still hold some sort of identifier that it, that you are you, but instead of holding your password, they will hold your public key. And if you lose a public key, it doesn't matter a jot. You can skywrite your public key over your local town and it won't compromise your security in any way. And what's being managed on the devices is the private key that matches it and that's going to be all magically synchronized. So the end result is you're not trusting the website with anything that they, there's no, they have nothing to lose anymore. But they do have to make a change 
because they need to store the public key instead of the password and they need to do a challenge rather than a compare. It's really in people's vested interest to make that change, though, because then they can't be held right. Yes, liable, so, especially if you're in Europe or California or places where privacy laws are be, are, are developing teeth. You now want to not have stuff to lose. It's just easier, and so the, this has real promise. But you, you are unfortunately right that it won't it won't be like a magic wand. But it is. I think this is really big news. It made me very happy. Uh, yeah, that's cool. The other thing that happened is it was Earth Day in the middle of the month. Um, so in the week leading up to Earth Day, Apple donated $1 for every Apple Pay transaction in an Apple store or website. Um, Apple also released some news on their supply chain because, of course, Apple don't make their own stuff anymore. So in terms of Earth Day, it's actually Apple's supply chain that matters a million times more than Apple itself. So Apple say that the changes they have made in their supply chain have avoided 14 million metric tons of carbon emissions in 2021, which is, uh, I guess, good. Uh, Also, 20% of materials used in products in 2021 were recycled. And they also did a bit of a media blitz where they invited um, a YouTuber to come and watch Liam, their iPhone recycling machine, do its magic, which I have to say was kind of fun. So I've linked that in the show notes. Um, and they're also uh, given a whole bunch of money to protect mangroves in India. Of course, mangroves are very important because they stop coastal erosion. And Foxconn have improved their promise to be good people. Um, so Foxconn's new uh, targets are to reduce emissions by 21% by 2025, another 63% reduction by 2035, and to reach net zero by 2050. So if they succeed in doing so, that would be amazing. Um, so, yeah, that was just, you know, Apple giving us a little environmental update. I don't think do we, we think we'll still be alive in 2050? Well, I'm going to do me darndest. <laughs> no, I mean as a planet. Um, I'm going to do me darndest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just seems like a long time away. I mean, yeah. Well, the year 2000 seemed like this mad, insane future thing when I'd have a jetpack, and that's now 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. But where's our jetpack? Yeah, exactly. Where is my jetpack and my hoverboard? Give me either. Actually, just give me the shoes that tie themselves. (laughs) Settle for that. Um, If you like Beat Studio, you now have a really rather cool new set of colours to choose from. Uh, Also, if you have a MagSafe battery pack, it has got a firmware update and it will now charge faster. So no new hardware, but it's actually gotten better, which is nice as an owner of this said product. Uh, If you are using Apple Wallet and your bank happens to be compatible with it, Apple have just made their fraud protection from Apple Card available to other credit cards. But again, it entirely requires the bank to do stuff on their end. So if your card can have it, you get it for free and you don't have to do anything and you'll get a notification when you open the wallet app saying it's happened. If you open the wallet app and nothing has happened, then I'm afraid this doesn't apply to you. And then finally, uh, Apple are bringing their child protection features in iMessage. So this is not the CSAM scary one where your iPhone is going to be scanning stuff before it goes off to the cloud. This is the parents can enable parental controls where the iPhone will locally use AI to see if an image looks like nudity and then offer the child child-friendly advice to basically 
help them protect themselves from grooming and other such horrific things. So that feature is coming to the UK and Canada. Um, so that is, you know, as I say, it's not the controversial one. And that rounds out a month's worth of Apple news. Uh, thank you very much to my panel for helping me digest all of that. Um, in no particular order, order actually i usually try to go in reverse so scott would you like to let the good listeners know where they can hear more of your work or follow you or basically whatever you'd like to plug <laughs> um yeah i'll plug friends with beer podcast at friendswithbeer.com. now that i'm well past my uh my audio file domain registration snafu you can actually hear it again so please do thank you snafu bad back good yeah and Elaine, what uh, what link would you like to give the good listeners? Or links? Don't, don't have to restrict uh, yourself. Uh, also my blog, elainegiles.co.uk. And I am Elaine Giles on the socials, especially YouTube. Excellent. Brilliant. Well, look, folks, again, thank you ever so much for giving so freely of your time. It is very much appreciated. It is a, a thoroughly enjoyable conversation. A great way for me to spend my late Saturday evening. I'm not sure it still counts as evening when you're a quarter to one the next morning. But anyway... Uh, thank you ever so much. Um, there are detailed show notes at lets-talk.ie where I have links to all of the stories that have informed my thinking on this month's news. While you're enjoying those show notes, you may notice a uh, banner in the sidebar called Support the Show. I want to thank everyone who has ever supported the show in any way. Uh, in terms of practical financial support, there are bills that arrive every month. And my aim in life is simply to have the listener support for the podcast match those bills really um and to be able to afford the odd software and hardware investments to make everything go a little bit better and i'm happy to say we're pretty much on track with that so thank you very much to all of the people who've supported the show there are no advertisers there are no sponsors this show exists for one reason and one reason only it exists because you guys support the show and i am eternally grateful to all of you let us talk dot ie Okay, I've been your host Bart Bouchard, so you can find me at bartb.ie, and until next time, happy computing! You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Looking for a show that talks about Apple and Apple products? Then Geekiest Show Ever is for you. What about Amazon? Google. Geekiest Show Ever is for you. Mesh networks, distance learning, all kinds of technology, interviews. Yes, Geekiest Show Ever covers that too. I'm Elisa Paselli. And I'm Melissa Davis. Listen to the Geekiest Show Ever on the MyMac Podcasting Network in your favorite podcast player. Feedback, show ideas, and reviews, always welcome.